1: Beyond the Call is our podcast resource for pastors and ministry leaders to help you protect what God has given you to lead. We're so glad that you are joined us today. Today we're going to be covering one of the most important topics, and really the most exciting topic, and that is the subject of ordination. Here's the question we want to answer today. Many pastors, when they consider ordination, are asking the question, am I legally ordained? I know for myself, several years ago, it was one of the most exciting days that I've ever had when the church recognized the call of God on my life. They called me to a service, we worshiped the Lord, we sang and we prayed, and my pastor laid hands on me and commissioned me into the ministry. And it wasn't until sometime later when I was signing a marriage certificate that I had this question pop up. I know that I'm ordained of the Lord, but am I legally ordained? That's a question I think many ministers are asking, and so today we've brought into the studio Jared Stills. Jared, so glad that you're here with us today.
2: Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I look forward to talking on this topic. Definitely something we hear, you know, in speaking with thousands of pastors, one of the leading questions we often get is, hey, how do I know my ordination is legal, or they want to make sure that they have a legal ordination in starting their church?
1: And it's a great topic that a lot of people are passionate about they remember when they were ordained they remember the service in fact sometimes talking about the subject of legal in the realm of ordination can feel tricky to people uh, but we going to really start from the very beginning to to explain the difference between a legal ordination and a spiritual ordination and jared you know this right ordination is god calling a man or a woman unto the gospel It's set apart. Jeremiah was set apart. Paul said, when it pleased the Lord to separate me from my mother's womb, he called me, right, and he put me into the ministry. What's neat about our country is that those in our country that have that eternal spiritual call, our country wants to extend special privileges and benefits, namely tax deductions, the ability to do weddings, and different things like that. But because the government obviously is a secular entity, they don't know how to discern who does and doesn't have that call, So they put the discernment into the hands of churches and ministries, so that when they go through certain steps and recognize a spiritual call on somebody, they give a legal ordination in subsequent matter. I guess the question is, for you, Jared, first thing is, what are the benefits of being legally ordained? You bet. So one of the big benefits
2: obviously has to do with the ability to solemnize weddings. You know, it's determined at the state level. And that is something that's very important to have that legal recognition. Certain states apply the require registration many, requirement. Right? Absolutely. And it has to be there. Uh, the other thing is things like prison visits, you know, hospital visits, being able to show credentials, uh, receive different benefits there. Right. And then the big one, obviously, is the tax deductions that are available through the self-employment tax exemption and the housing
1: allowance. Right. So what we... And those are huge. Imagine a pastor who has a salary, and he's taking a he or she is taking a tax deduction, but they only get that if they qualify from a legal standpoint, right? It's not just a spiritual reality. There's a legal reality, and without that legal component, there they might not qualify. Isn't that right? Exactly. So you and I both know this. We've talked to so many pastors. There's a lot of confusion when it comes to ordination. In fact, if you Google (laughs) and ask the question, am I legally ordained, you know, 12 pastors will give you 15 different answers, right? Why do you think there's so much confusion when it comes to the area of legal ordination? Yes,
2: and there's three main myths that we hear on the phone. One of those is, you know, hey, once I'm ordained, I'm always ordained. Right. So I got ordained, you know, I talked to a pastor that says it was back in the 80s, you know, I got my ordination, I don't have to go through any other process. Once I got ordained, that was it. Um, I don't have to worry about anything there. And what they don't realize is that the ordination is tied to the organization that ordained you. So not the individual that ordained you. You know, it's not that spiritual call. It's that legal ordination from the entity. So that's the first myth. You know what's
1: interesting? I was talking to one of my uh, heroes, if you will, and I asked him about his ordination. He said, you know, early on in my life, I got ordained. It was a great service. They sent me into the mission field, and he's done many things in different continents. And I said, uh, "I said, well, what does that church think about you now? I'm thinking way back to that day of ordination and everything they say. He said, unfortunately, that cl- church closed a couple years later. And I said, "Well, who did you get ordained through after that?" And he said, "Well, you know, once ordained, always ordained." And I've thought about the years, not only of the ministry, because obviously the anointing on his life, but how much tax deduction did he take? You know, if the IRS was to audit him and he was to look at their records, he would—they would say, "You don't qualify. You qualify as a minister. You qualify, or spiritually, you're bearing fruit, but qualifying for a tax deduction because you're really your ordination is invalid the moment the organization went away." So I hear you say, once ordained, always ordained. What's another myth? Yeah, another one we get is,
2: now that I'm ordained, I can go and ordain others. And again, you know, this is not tied to an individual. So a lot of people think, hey, I've gotten ordained at one point, now I can turn around and I can ordain some others. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, again, it's the entity that does the ordaining, so, if you are a pastor and you say, Hey, I've laid hands right. on some people, you know, I've ordained some individuals, again, it's not you that has that authority, it's your organization. And if your organization doesn't have the proper documents, right. uh, it's possible that that ordination might not stand up.
1: I like to talk about it from the standpoint of like getting our driver's license. You know, when you walk into a driver's license place, what happens? You take a test, you look through your eye thing, you take an awkward photo, and then what happens? They eventually call your name and someone hands you a license. Now, that person, you don't go around and say, I'm licensed by Bob, the you know Department of Driver Services guy. No, Bob is acting on behalf of the organization, which I hear, I think, you saying that the ordination isn't from a man or a woman, but it's from the organization. Does that mean that the ordination is only as good as the legal compliance of the Church? Absolutely. That's exactly what that means. So... If the
2: or organization does not have the proper documents in place, if they don't have the proper process in
1: place, uh, again, that ordination would not stand up. That's great. If you're just joining us, we are you're joining us on the Start Church Beyond the Call podcast, and today we're answering the question: Am I legally ordained? And there's a big difference uh, between just being spiritually called and having a legal recognition of that spiritual call, and just uh, Jared Stills is in with us today. He's one of our uh, lead church plant specialists, and he's helping us kind of answer that question. If you have questions during this podcast, you can call us at 844-641-5718, 844-641-5718. Jared, let me ask you this question. How does that affect us today? Um, Have the courts ruled on that, and what should a pastor do in response to that?
2: Yes, absolutely. The, the courts had not ruled on that until about 2012. There had been some, you know, lower-level court decisions that had come up, but in 2012, it was actually January 11th, the Supreme Court stepped in and wow. decided to rule on a case that involved a, a group called the Hosanna Tabor Evangel- Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals had ruled that one of their teachers was not a minister. And the Supreme Court stepped in and said, hey, you know, this is a scenario where the courts are not going to be able to determine that. It's something that's going to be turned over to, again, the religious organization. But uh, while that was a win for a lot of pastors and ministers, the other issue that was there is that the title of being a minister does not automatically ensure that you're going to have coverage. That's huge. Because the name is there, minister or pastor, doesn't Automatically qualify you. So
1: that's a big deal. They said we can't decide who's a minister, define, but just because you define a minister doesn't mean we have to accept it. So the church's response is to have and create a licensing and ordaining program that meets the requirements. Right, that really makes for all fifty states the ability to say we have we have met those requirements. Which by the end of this podcast, we're going to give you all ten steps. So make sure to hang in there. Um, is this a big deal? Jared, when you're talking with pastors and you're looking at what's happening, what are the legal ramifications of somebody, let's say, not being legally ordained? Yes, and there's a
2: a call recently that we received in the office here. So a pastor had been taking a self-employment tax exemption for several years. And while I won't speak to the specifics of that case, just to give you a breakdown of what that could look like. So let's say you're receiving $50,000 a year for a five-year period as a pastor. And then you're taking that self-employment tax exemption of 15.3%, and then the IRS comes in and audits your taxes and says, hey, we want to look at the, the last five years, and they come to find that your ordination is not valid. Well, that self-employment tax exemption is dependent on a legal ordination. Right, right. So now you'd be looking at about $38,000 in taxable income. taxes, absolutely, wow. where you claimed an exemption that wasn't valid, and that's before interest, penalties... You know some of those things that are there,
1: so it definitely is a big deal. And that person's again, we want to make sure we clarify: we're not saying they're not called of the Lord. They've probably led people to Christ and done major things and bearing fruit for the ministry. But from an IRS standpoint, they're going to come in and say you didn't qualify for a tax deduction because you didn't have the legal steps taken care of. That's huge. Well, let's t- let's answer that question then. How can I if, I, if I'm a pastor, a church leader, and I want to establish a legal ordination? program. How do I do that? You bet, and this is something we also address at our Ultimate Church Structure Conference
2: that we do around the country. There's a 10-step program we have in place. It's at the conferences. You'll also find it in our conference manual, and it breaks down like this. So the first step in the process is you want to make sure that your corporate documents are set up correctly. Right. This is your Articles of Incorporation, your Constitution, your bylaws, uh, the board meeting minutes, everything that you need there that says you intend to have or already have a licensing and ordination program. That's the first step.
1: So if it's in the vision, it's in the documents.
2: Absolutely. That's what I try to tell pastors
1: all the time. If you have a vision to license and ordain ministers, then from the very beginning, do it. In fact, Jared, do I understand correctly, if a church has their Articles of Incorporation, their bylaws done, and they're legal, but they don't mention ordination, is, is it true that they really don't have the ability to give a legal ordination? That's true. So, yes,
2: spiritually they can, but legally, from the legal standpoint, you know, giving out credentials with
1: the name of the organization would not stand up. That's why I think it's another reason I think it's very important who helps you do your paperwork and how you finalize your paperwork from the very beginning, because lots of people will make you legally incorporated or legal bylaws, but they don't address the spiritual side of ordination. And so it's not in the vision. It's not in the documents something you can't do. In fact, maybe, maybe maybe, you as a pastor right now want to go find your articles and see if in your purpose clause you said license and ordained ministers of the gospel. That's a huge one. What's the, what's the next
2: step? Yeah, step two is you want to make sure there's a certain set of criteria that the applicant is meeting. So make sure they've taken classes, they've had on-the-job training, they've done volunteer work at the church. Uh, again, you want to make sure all of those things
1: are in place and that they're involved in the local ministry. And, you know, one of the things I talk about when they say uh, setting a criteria, I think this is really to show the IRS. Again, we're doing this to prove if somebody were to say, why is this legal? Here's what we would say to show we have a process to show who does and doesn't have the call. I think the IRS is mainly worried about standing up on Sunday morning, waving the sign of the cross and saying, everybody in here is now ordained. Well, that's not true. What the church is trying to do is saying, we have a process here, right? We have a process. It's considered, it's deliberate, it's responsible, and here's how we select a minister. And that set of criteria helps the church to show discernment on who does and doesn't have the call. So the first thing is make sure it's in your documents. The second step is to make sure there's a predetermined set of criteria. What's the third step? Uh, The third step we have here is
2: require an application with a fee. So put together an application and, again, create a fee for somebody to pay.
1: So that's a big step. You know, one of the things we talk about is, and I know that we uh, talk about step four is an exam, right? Taking an exam to show that it's taken and that there's a minimum requirement. And somebody said one time, why should I have to take an exam or fill in an application? Again, we're trying to show a process, trying to show that, you know, it's an understanding of the hour in which we live. The IRS, when they look at ordination, we talked to one agent and they said, listen, we don't see it any different than a real estate agent or a doctor or a lawyer. What has to happen? They take a test, they meet a set of criteria, right? They file an application, they file it with a fee. We see that as no difference. And so- I know one ati- one thing a lot of pastors say is, I want to meet those criteria, but where do I get an application or a test or a certificate? And if you go to our website at startchurch.com, you'll see our Minister Suite Toolkit, and it's going to have everything you need about ordaining. In fact, we'll give you an ordination certificate, it will give you an exam, it will tell you the legal requirements in all 50 states, and it will give you the application. You want to check that out if you're listening to that resource today. In fact, if you call us at 844-641-571, 8 we'll give you a 10% discount on the phone if you decide to purchase that. We really want you to have all of those resources. 844 641 So, review so far. It's in your documents, you've set a criteria, there's an application with a fee, you've taken an exam. What's the next step?
2: Step number 5, you've got a formal process for commissioning. So that would be the next step in the process.
1: Like a service or a time set aside. We're going to pray for you, show that there was a moment.
2: Number 6, Number six, you want to make sure there's an expiration or a renewal date on the credentials.
1: You know, we've seen here at Star Church, we we, uh, create articles of, excuse me, uh, ordination certificates and ordination cards. And we've had somebody put in before, it's good till when Jesus returns. And while that's probably good theology, it's not good wisdom. Because isn't it true, not everybody that runs with you runs the entire race with you. What you don't want somebody out there is, with your ordination card— preaching false doctrine or, you know, having done something immoral, and they say, well, I'm a minister of such-and-such church. I think the expiration date helps you to keep the quality of your ministry intact. You bet, you bet. And then, uh, so number uh, number six was uh, expiration date and renewal date. Uh, Number seven? You want to make sure there's a
2: renewal process in place. So that's either an application or a written letter requesting a
1: renewal. Right, so you're showing a process that there was some... uh, Uh, instigation on their side. And I understand we don't require or don't ask for a fee on the renewal side. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And number eight, this is really big, is what? You want to make sure
2: you're keeping good records of all the ministers that your organization has commissioned, licensed, ordained, all of those that are active, inactive, or revoked. You want to have a good record of
1: that. So what are we considering here? The IRS comes up to your organization that ordained you and says, I see minister, you know, Pastor Jared Stills is taking a tax deduction. He only qualifies if he's legally ordained. Show me the process. What you would want to do is have your ordination folder, right? Somebody pull out and say, well, here's his exam. Here's the renewal. Here's the application. Here's the fee. Here's where he met the set of criteria inside of our board meeting minutes. Keeping good records. In fact, I think a lot of people have struggled with they've been sent out from a home church they don't have real confidence that the home church would be able to adequately show that process. And we'll show you what to do with that in just a moment. Number nine? Number nine you're looking at is you want to
2: make sure that the role that they have as a minister is conveying the church's message and mission. And again, they're agreeing with your statement of faith, your written doctrines, and delivering things that are in accordance with that.
1: And then number 10,
2: Number 10 here is you want to make sure that the minister maintains a meaningful relationship with the church. And again, that can be as simple as attending some conferences, maybe a, a meeting once a year, you know, you have them in to preach once a year, something along those lines.
1: And I've heard the best reason for that is a lot of uh, times we're seeing rubber stamp mills, you know, people just ordaining everybody, having no relationship, or online, I'm ordained online, which has created struggles. Uh, people trying to do weddings, especially up north, with an online ordination and really have gotten in trouble uh, because th- there's no meaningful relationship. And so what, what Jerry just described here is if you follow these 10 steps, you're going to meet the requirements of all 50 states of showing you are legally ordained. It's been in the documents from the very beginning of the organization. You've met the requirements for there. You filed an application, You actually paid a fee with that. You've taken a test. There is a formal commissioning service, if you will. There's an expiration date on your card that shows maybe every two years or so. There's great records, so if they were to be required, you could easily show that proof. Uh, You show a succinctness with the church's message in mission, and then ultimately you're still in relationship. That is the process of having a legal ordination in your corner. Now, Jaren, I know a lot of us as ministers are out there going, I did not have that 10-step process. So what should we do? If a minister's out there right now and they realize they're not legally ordained, what would you say to them?
2: Well, the first thing I would say is know that, you know, the spiritual ordination does not go away. You're still ordained by the Lord. Uh, That's not going to change. Um, The second thing that I would say is, you know, get ordained through your own church or your own ministry. Take the time to amend those documents to
1: update this process and go through that process. So you're not saying lay hands on myself. You're not saying call an usher and pray. You're saying that I could form a ministry or a church, I could go through these 10 steps as a minister in my own church and meet those requirements and be just as legally ordained as anyone from a major denomination or seminary. That's correct. you got that exactly right. And it's
2: important to note here as well that this does not reject, you know, a formal ordination or a spiritual covering. You know, sometimes we talk to people who say, you know, I don't want to get a second ordination because I might offend, you know, the person that ordained me. Uh, just understand, you can have multiple ordinations, but it's important that you're sure at least one of those ordinations is legal. Would stand up if it, under scrutiny. You bet. Uh, that's a great plan. Now, is this only for churches?
1: What if you're a prayer ministry? What if you're a prayer ministry?
2: Yes, and actually, uh, my wife and I, we head up a ministry. It's an outreach ministry. We're not a church. You know, we do outreach to the homeless, to foster kids, to refugees, and we are both actually ordained through our ministry. So it is possible to have that done through a ministry, not just through a church. That's
1: wonderful. Well, how can Start Church help? If somebody's, uh, you know, our podcast people listen whether driving or on the treadmill or whatever, and they're sitting here saying, I want to be legally ordained. I I don't think I've met all of these requirements. If I want to get it started in my church or my ministry, how can Start Church
2: help? Absolutely. So there's two roles uh, we can play. One is if you're a new organization, just getting going. That would be with our Start Right program. We go through a process at the very beginning to make sure these documents are created the right way. And if you, again, don't have that 501c3, that's another step in that process we'll help you with. And the other is what's called a reconsideration. And this is for organizations that already are established. You have a 501c3 in place. But now you're going to be going back and you're going to be amending documents, mm. you know, updating the state documents, updating your internal documents, and then getting those updated documents to the IRS to show, hey, on our public record, you know, we've made this update to the organization
1: to license and ordain. Well, if you've joined us today, we hope this has been a, an encouraging resource to give you a strategy in answering the question, am I legally ordained? If you have any questions about this or need to get moving in that direction, please give us a call at 844-641-5718, 844-641-5718. You can email us at podcast at startchurch.com. Make sure to join us next week as we're covering a very important question. Are tax, our love offerings tax deductible? It's going to be a great discussion. Hope you join us
0: then. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call. Brought to you by Start Church. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church, Beyond the Call. Start Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718. We would be honored to serve you.